They may be called the next generation, but they're the church of today. Reach, disciple, and mobilize students to share the hope of the gospel. This is Next Gen On Mission with Shane Pruitt and Paul Wooster. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Next Gen On Mission podcast. My name is Shane Pruitt. I'm the National Next Gen Director for the North American Mission Board. And always with me is my co-host, my brother, Paul Wooster, who is the National Collegiate Director for the North American Mission Board. What's up, Paul? What's going on, man? Hey, I'm excited about this thing that we're working on for called Collegiate Coaching uh, that NAM's putting together. And we're going to be sharing more info about that. But Shane, you just launched last year this Youth Pastor Coaching Network. I, man, I'd love for you to share with our listeners like a little bit of what God's done. Yeah, man, it's awesome. We really feel like the heart behind it is that if we want to really move the needle and impacting the next generation, we're going to do that by impacting leaders who are impacting the next generation because we feel healthy evangelistic leaders are going to lead healthy evangelistic ministries. And so we started a coaching network back in the spring of 2021 and we coached uh, 62 youth leaders and it was awesome. And that coaching was four online sessions, one two-day in-person session uh, at the NAM offices in Alpharetta. And then in the fall, we started again, and we've had 325 sign up. We had to cap Whoa. it out at 325. <laughs> so, so it's crazy. It's, it's a coaching network, but it's almost bigger than most youth pastor conferences. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, so we're excited about that. We started um, you know, last week uh, compared to this recording, so uh, toward the end of August. And we're just excited to see what God does, man. We talk about all the practical side of ministry, maybe things that we didn't learn in Bible college or seminary, or we did and we've forgotten. So really kind of honing back on the core value, practical side of ministry, man. So I'm excited yeah. to launch the collegiate one. Yeah, yeah, man. And I think that in-person gathering where they have those two days together, that provides so much uh, just like people encouraging one another and getting to know one another, this movement across the nation. So yeah, that's why we're taking your model of that youth pastor and we're going to do a collegiate coaching yeah. network. So I'm super pumped about that. Absolutely. Man. And if you're listening and you want to find out even more about the youth leader one, and you can even check that out. Maybe you're a collegiate leader, you're a BCM director, um, a, a college pastor, but you want to kind of see the model and hear some stories. If you just go to youthleadercoachingnetwork.com, all spelled out, it's really long, Paul, right? So youthleadercoachingnetwork.com. You can read more about it, even watch some video testimonies. Um, and check that out. And then Paul's going to be doing one very similar for collegiate leaders. So we cannot wait for that to happen. Yeah. And so Paul, speaking of collegiate ministry, man, we've got one of the best of the best on with us today, man. I love this brother. Uh, Mitch Tidwell is a dear, dear friend of mine. I know he's a dear friend of yours. He's like a young brother to me. Um, you know, before serving at the North American Mission Board, I served as the director of evangelism for the Southern Baptist of Texas convention. So Mitch served on that team and uh, he is, man, he's a brother to me. Um, he oversees the collegiate ministries uh, for the state convention there in Texas, the Southern Baptist of Texas convention. And man, he's one of the best, even though he impacts Texas, he really has an impact across the nation um, yeah. and is being used by God mightily. So Paul, today we're going to talk to Mitch about the strategic impact of university campus and what God is doing on universities and how to impact universities and the campuses there. So Mitch, welcome to the Next Gen on Mission podcast. Mitchie T in the house. Mitch Tidwell, what's up, brother? 
Hey, man, it's good to be with you guys, man. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I don't know if I'll get a word in between you and Paul, but I'm just excited <laughs> to be here in the room. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I love it. Hey, so Paul, as you know, hey, Mitch is like, man, he is like the king of roast, dude. He's always roasting me <laughs> up, man. <laughs> we can take it. We can take it. Yeah, that's right. Hey, hey that's how you know I love you, man. I just, that's you right. Know, if not, I just, I'm like an introvert, but when I start roasting, that means there's just, there's love. Yeah. Hey, and when Mitch roasts, man, he gets personal, Paul. He used to make fun of my ankles. You know, it's bad when somebody makes fun of your ankles. Like, that's real personal. Hey, man. Hey, we won't even get started the way you started roasting me on. So, we'll, we'll keep moving. Man. <laughs> hey, well, awesome. Mitch, we're so glad you're on, man. And, and uh, before you. we get too spiritual, man, uh, tell us one fun fact about Mitchie T., that we should probably know that we know we don't know already. Besides the fact you're like a fantasy football guru, man. You and I play in a league together. We were in the championship game, and then yeah. you know Alvin Kamara yeah. decided to have six touchdowns in one game, but I didn't have a chance against yeah. you. So, uh, man, tell yeah. us a fun fact about yourself. Well, you know, I was really excited last year. I did win two fantasy football championships, but that was my first. Those were my only championships to ever win in like my. I guess it's probably been like 15 years of fantasy football. So I, I feel like I'm just getting the hang of it. So I'm really excited about this year. Although for our fantasy draft, I, I'm going to have to auto draft because I'm going to be on vacation with my bride and I'll get in some big trouble if I start doing some fantasy draft. Come on, man. Priorities, man. Priorities. So I'm just, uh, I'm just praying the Holy spirit will just draft the right team for me. But, uh, anyways, we'll, uh, I probably a fact that I don't think anybody needs to know this about me, but it is always a unique thing. But I did prior to ministry, I went to culinary school and started a restaurant. So that's wow. my pre, those are my pre-ministry. And those are my BC days basically. So mm-hmm. um, that's what I did. I did like two years <clears throat> of community college right out of high school, came away with nine hours in two years, which is, parents were like, okay, let's, let's figure out a different route for you to go because <laughs> most people get that half a semester. And, uh, so my, my dad was a competition barbecue cooker. I uh, did it as a hobby and he always wanted to open up a barbecue business. So he had a dream and a low life son. And he said, let's put those two things together. <laughs> and so that's what happened. I was 20 years old and my dad financially backed the business and my mom and dad did. And they said, will you operate it? And I just tried it. I just figured it out. So we, wow. uh, we opened a business. And so I ran that business till I was 26 or seven. I came out and started doing it part-time at 25 to start doing ministry. And I think 26, 27 is when I full-time left the business and, and, uh, got into ministry full-time. So that's kind of the unique thing about me, I guess. Wow, you said barbecue, and I literally started salivating. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. so, I loved it, man. It was. We don't. We don't really even know what barbecue is out here. I was here. about to say, do y'all have barbecue yeah. in California, Paul? Mm, not really, man. I went to yeah. a barbecue place, quote unquote, and I asked them for brisket, and they didn't even know what it was. I was, I was like, uh, nah, I was heresy. That's heresy. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a Texas staple, man. Exactly. And this is not what this is for. But you know, when you look at I love barbecue, because if you look in Texas history, like all these big moments throughout Texas history in the last like two to probably like 200 years, it all revolves around barbecue. Like Mm. you had some of the the Germans and, and the Polish that had come in, especially in Texas. And they had these meat markets and the meat that they weren't going to use, they smoked so it would, you know, stay longer. And that created, you know, so people started buying barbecue 
Well, then it became like a celebratory thing where anytime there was like a celebration, you have barbecue. So like in Texas, when it comes to barbecue, like you never just eat barbecue as a, as a meal. It's not like, Hey, we're having spaghetti tonight. It's like, if you're having barbecue, it's like, this is a significant mm-hmm. moment. Like this is, yeah. and we're all happy and we're pumped about it. So I love barbecue because of the fact that it's like, there's always like a joy around it and a cel- celebration around it. That's like different than any other meal you would have. So that's kind of why barbecue is so big here in Texas. Oh yeah. Man. That's cool. That's true. Hey, Mitch, I remember a couple of years ago when Harvey was coming in, Hurricane Harvey, and uh, actually it was up on my like little uh, Facebook memories the other day. But there was uh, one of the news channels um, in South Texas was like saying, "Hey, here's supplies that are needed." So it was like Hurricane Harvey supplies, and then it was like brisket limit two per person. You know, it's not like so Hurricane Harvey, you need generators, water. <laughs> All right, let's that. jump into the serious yeah. questions here. So the yeah. first one on our list here is what do we need to know about Generation Z? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, part of it is I, I work so much with the leaders of those who lead Generation Z. But in, I think a lot of the time that I have and that I do spend with Generation Z, uh, I think one of the biggest things that I have noticed out of them is just the global mindedness of Generation Z. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was sitting down the other day. I was at a, uh, me and my wife were going, we were teaching at this uh, singles retreat. This church invited us to come down to the beach in Texas to do this like singles retreat. And, and it was, it was an international church. So it was like a group of like 20 to 25 uh, people in college and then just post-college, but they were all international and it was funny to sit there and talk and maybe this is kind of a different group, but I was so surprised with how they were talking about things on a global level. Mm-hmm. Even I was at a, doing a camp recently um, uh, for a church in Fort Worth. We were in Arkansas at a camp and I sat down with one of the kids and he was telling me about all this political se- uh, situation happening in like Libya. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. I didn't, wow. I barely knew who our president was in high school. I didn't, know, <laughs> I didn't wasn't like worried about what was happening in Libya. But they're so like globally mm-hmm. connected that it's it's really and I and I often like kind of think like I wonder how that really plays out because they're not I don't think that Gen Z is just thinking about how things affect themselves or even their town or their school, but I think they're thinking about how things affect the world and, and the globe. And I think that's probably a big deal. Um probably one of the big things that I've noticed about them that it's not just you know, I, I think probably in years past that it's been, we, you know, as we've maybe preached or taught, we really talk about what's best for us or maybe our nation, but they're really thinking what's best for the world. I, mm-hmm. I think that may be a, a key difference, not just our nation. So there, there's probably less of a, and I think there may be even, you know, I, I don't, this is just me spitballing off the top of my head, but there may even be like a less of a, a marriage of like kind of nationalism, you know, where it's yeah. like, Hey, we don't see ourselves as just a nation. We see ourselves as a globe. Yeah. Um, I, our I brothers so. and sisters over. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> and I think another thing that I have noticed is like, there just seems to be more of a, uh, kind of a seriousness to them about their faith in some ways. Like mm-hmm. I just see it's, and, and maybe that's just being young and, you're seeing things maybe a little bit more black and white, you know, you're trying to form a view what's right, what's wrong, but there just seems to be a little bit more of like a seriousness about faith and, and what's obedience and what's not obedience. And, um, you know, I, I, 
I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything to that or not, but that's just something that I've noticed is that the, the, the students that we, that I minister to at our, our church and even the church I'm interim at right now, they just seem to be, they seem to take their faith super serious. Now I'm, I'm working with mostly Gen Z college students who mm-hmm. aren't made to go to church because mom and dad are telling them to, or right. anything. they're going because they want to. Right. And yep. so maybe that's, you know, a subgroup that's, you know, maybe I'm not getting the whole scope there, but those are a couple of things that I've really noticed um, mm-hmm. that have kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, I think that's true. I think as the culture is drifting more away from the gospel <laughs> and away from yeah. biblical truth, it, if you're going to stick with it, it's, you're really going to stick with it. And so yep. I think yep. this generation is maybe, there may be less people that are following Christ, but the ones that are have chosen to do so. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I think that there may be something there. And so that's an exciting uh, place yep. to be in our discipling, mm-hmm. in our training of, of students. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah that's awesome. I, I, lo- I think yeah. in some, and I think in some ways I've had to, I feel like, discipling college students i've had to almost like say like hey you don't have to be this extreme in this area it's like sometimes i think there's like a little bit more of extreme of like hey like hold on a second like just because someone is not on this side of the fence as you does not mean they're a bad person does not mean they're going to like let's pull this back a little bit so almost, <laughs> in some cases a lot of extremism where i'm like whoa hold on a second you're like mm-hmm. let's pull this back a second you know and obviously not on core things on, you know, the gospel or the scriptures, but mm-hmm. you know, some secondary issues. I'm like, Hey, let's, let's not tribalize here. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I remember that was when I was in high school, it was like burning all your secular music. <laughs> having, like, yeah. So I think that every generation has like their version of that where, yeah. you know, perhaps it's an yeah. over, overzealous yeah. response, but <laughs> man, I love, I love you, Mitch. And I love how fired up you are about, personally knowing Christ and expanding the gospel. So can you share a little bit of your story and how you got so, so fired up about it all? Yeah. Um, man, I, uh, <clears throat> quickly, I, you know, my family, my mom was a believer. Um, she, she placed her faith in Christ at a very young age, but my house, uh, growing up was just, it was honestly a wreck. My dad had a dad battled substance abuse. And so if you grow up in one of those homes, you know that it, mm-hmm. they're just chaotic, a lot of anger, screaming, all kinds of stuff. And, and so that, that, that all that chaos really created a chaotic kid. And so for as a kid, I was just very emotionally unstable, angry, all those kind of things. Mom, um, I get to probably about fourth or fifth grade. Mom says, tells dad, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you. Um, mm-hmm. we're tired of all of this chaos. And dad just says, Hey, I need to get my act together. And my dad, he had a business. Um, he kind of, he released a lot of that business to do things just himself as a sole proprietor type of guy and, uh, or sole owner in his business with no employees. Um, and we moved and my dad, we started, I had a friend in elementary school that invited me to church. So I started going to church. My family started going, Dad gets saved when I was about 12, I think 12 or 11 or 12 years old, and things started slowly getting better. Um, we went to middle school. I was involved in church, and then when I went to high school, my parents switched churches, and I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an introvert, and so, and especially at this age, I was so insecure. I'm like, I don't want to go to a new place, meet new people. Mm-hmm. In fact, the youth pastor came over to our house and brought a group of kids, and it freaked me out. I said, <laughs> I would never go to that church. Like, it was the weirdest thing, like, to put me on the spot like that. And it was it was terrible. And so, and I and now I look back at it, I'm like, man, I mean, they were, they meant well with that. 
but mm-hmm. it was as an introvert, I was like, uh-uh, don't want to do this. And so for my, and my parents didn't make me go to church. And so high school just, man, was just very flesh, man. I was just into my flesh and got into everything that high school had to offer parties and, you know, doing all those, you can let your imagination run with that. But that's what I just kind of drank that Kool-Aid and mm-hmm. graduated from high school. And that was when I spent the two years community college, man, that didn't really work out for me as I shared earlier. And, uh, that's when my dad said, Hey, let's start a, let's start a business. And so we had a building, we renovated that building. Uh, my parents said, Hey, I went to culinary school, learned how to cook, learned my way around a kitchen, learned how to manage a kitchen. And then in 2007, we opened up a restaurant and, and, and I was the operator. I was the prime. So it was the LLC between, um, uh, me and my, uh, my mom, my dad and myself, we owned it. And I was the primary operator and, uh, we were in North Fort Worth, which at this point in time, there wasn't a bunch of suburbs. And so we were like one of the only places to eat within 12 miles. So we actually did really good because you either nice. had to eat with us or go 12 miles to go eat somewhere else. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, um, I'm learning how to be a pit master. I'm learning how to smoke barbecue. Uh, but I'm just going to have really good customer service and I'm going to keep the restaurant really clean. And honestly, that just kept people coming back. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought we had okay food because I never quite figured out, you know, how to be a great fit master. <laughs> uh, you know, I think people love the environment. They love the atmosphere. And honestly, you can cook okay barbecue in Texas and get by with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I did. And so uh, started that at 20, uh, 20, when I was 21, it was 2008 housing market crash. My parents were like, Hey, you need to get into a house. So I bought a home when I was 21, was able to get enough money for that. So like things were going pretty well for me. I mean, 2021 by, you know, running a business, owning a business and then bought my own home. And so I was like, I was feeling pretty good. Like I thought, Hey, I'm like surpassing peers and you know, my house had become party central Mm -hmm. and you know, I felt Mm -hmm. like life was just going super well for me. But like in the same time, when I'm about the age of 22, like I really begin to feel like, okay, I, I've accomplished some things that I felt like I wasn't going to accomplish for a really long time, like at least until my thirties. Mm-hmm. And I feel so empty and so uh, purposeless in this. And it was like a really, it was a, it was really a, a big worldview crashing time for me because I had had this kind of phrase and you guys have heard this <clears throat> a bunch, but you know, follow your heart. And that was like my motto for life, that if you do what you want, you get what you want, then you'll always be satisfied. Mm. And what I found out is that didn't work, that I was consuming uh, money. I was consuming business. I was, you know, consuming all these simple habits of alcohol and women and drugs and all these different things. And at the end of it, I was like, I feel worse than when I started. And I thought this was going to like fulfill me. And so at 22 years old, I had an event happen to me that was like a, you know, I don't know what, what this podcast is rated, so I won't go into the detail of that, but I had an event happen to me that was like a, just a really, just, just a come to Jesus moment of like, you can go down this road or you can get your act together. And, and I, I and that's when I had a deacon, a 60 year old deacon, y'all. He may have been in his, his late fifties by then, but he would visit my restaurant every week and man, he'd invite me to church every week. I just, I tear mm-hmm. up because of like, y'all, this is like, this mm-hmm. is the, you think about reaching the next generation. This is the everyday deacon in a church who worked yeah. for the County. He built yeah. roads and he visited me every week. 
and was just, I mean, he ate our stuff every week. And I'm like, dude, you're spending way too much money here. And the food's not that good. <laughs> he just showed up. And, wow. uh, and man, he just kept inviting me uh, to church over and over and over. And finally, we had this, um, this local church. It was First Baptist Haslett at the time. And then a little town that we lived in. <clears throat> and he said, hey, there's a new pastor. He's in his early 30s. I want you to come here and preach. And so, um, and so what I agreed to do is I said, okay, this guy comes to my barbecue place all the time and he's, I'll go, he had a college and career Sunday school class. So I went and attended it and I attended that for a couple of weeks. And then after a couple of weeks, the pastor, I would try to leave. He had to go through the worship center to leave. And the pastor, I think he was a safety in high school cause he took a good angle and he would cut <laughs> me off before I would hit the door. And, uh, and I was just like, and I was just felt guilty. I'm like, Hey, if this guy's like trying to get me to stay, like I'll, I'll at least stay and I'll hear him out. And, uh, and you know, I, I don't know if maybe it was just, you know, I, obviously it was the Holy Spirit's activity in my life. But as I said, listen to that guy preach, like, man, that guy just preached the gospel. Like he believed it, like it was real that Jesus mm-hmm. did really want to save people. Jesus did really want to save the world. And he wanted to use me to do it. And that for me, it was just, um, it just gripped me because I think what, I think the reason why we did well, I did well in the barbecue business was because I had been given a task and a vision that I couldn't accomplish in my own power. It was like bigger than myself. And it was like, I just wanted to go and try to conquer it. And what that pastor gave me, a guy named Joe Leiter, what he gave, I feel like me in that church was he said, this is, I'm giving you something much bigger, something much more purposeful than trying to build a business. Uh, it's building God's kingdom and God wants to use me to do it. And so for like a year, I sat underneath that teaching. And then finally, one night, 23 years old, man, I remember this feeling of like, man, I'm I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going through all these things that that I have, that the church says to do. Um, and that was kind of this subconscious deal I had with God that I was like, hey, I'll go to church if this is what's going to fulfill me. And I'm like, I'm a pretty type A driven person. So it's like, read the Bible. Okay. You know, like, Hey, give me the checklist and I'm going to check it all off (laughs) really well. And that's what I did. And at the end of that, man, I still felt like something was missing. Like I'm, there's something, there's a piece of this that I'm not getting. And so it was a big wrestle for me of like, okay, God, I, I, I have a feeling that you exist and that you are real, that Jesus is real. He really did rise from the dead. But for some reason, there's this disconnect between you and with me, and I'm not really sure what it is. And I started praying. I asked my mom and a few friends if they would pray to just ask God to reveal that. And and I remember one night as we were shutting down a restaurant, I just was washing my hands. And it was like, man, it, it became so clear to me that the Lord just kind of spoke in his Holy Spirit in my heart, not like audibly, but was like, Mitch, you're doing a lot of good things for me. You're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're doing all this. You've just never actually given me your life. You're, you have, I just want you. I don't want your Bible. I don't want your prayers. I don't want, just give me you. I want all of you. Wow. And that was like the light bulb moment for me is that it was like, God didn't want what I could give him. He just wanted me. Like he wanted right. my whole life in a total surrender. And so that was the light bulb for me of like, oh, that's, that's what's missing. It's like, you know, I, I was still living in sin and I was trying to check off the church on the weekend and I was trying to check off this, but God was like, man, I just want you, man. I, said, I just want mm-hmm. you. And so I went home that night and got in my closet and, man, just prayed. And, um, I just call it an Isaiah six moment, man, where I, it was like, I just began to confess sin and I just saw the grotesqueness of 
my sin and all the things that I'd done. And it was almost like, it was really a holy moment. I mean, other than mm. it was probably the most holy moment I've ever experienced other than the birth of my son, where mm. I really experienced, it, you know, it was like, I, I, I really had to, a great greater sense of what sin is and how gross it is to God and how much he detests it. And I just began to confess sin. It's like, it was almost like God had reminded me of my sin and I was just like mm. confessing it all. Mm. And, um, but man, in the same moment, man, God also not just showed me my sin, but the grace of Jesus and how Jesus bore all my sin and all my shame and all my guilt. And he, he took the complete punishment of everything that I had committed. And, and, mm. uh, and he did that for me and I placed my faith and trust in him. And, and uh, man, just walked in and, Child of the devil walked out a child of God and man, honestly, mm. my life's just never been the same. And I never forgot it, man. I just, uh, and I'm thankful that God gave me that moment. I know, you know, God treats everybody differently, but I'm glad mm. he gave me a, um, you know, an Isaiah burning, you know, burning bush road to Damascus moment. Cause I will right. not forget it. And it's marked me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's changed my whole life. Man, that's awesome, Mitch. Hey man, thanks for sharing that, man. What a powerful story testimony. I've heard you share it multiple times and man, never gets old hearing it. And you know, God reached you at a very strategic time in your life. So in yeah. shifting gears a little bit, um, man, talk about um, why reaching the college campus, the mm. university is so strategic. Mm. And then in that, um, man, if you would just briefly, you know, talk about that and then briefly share about uh, the vision behind Roundup and the Roundup yeah. network and what God's doing in that network. Would you share with those, uh, share those with us? Yeah, man. So, you know, when you look at a college student, just like even myself at it, you know, I know that I didn't go the traditional college route, but even that young, I'll put it this way. When I was, so when I got saved, that pastor took me under his wing and what he did is he shaped what it meant to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. I was moldable, malleable, shapeable, centerable. I was ready to do whatever he wanted me to do. And those rhythms, and I'm so thankful that Joe was a guy who, man, mm -hmm. had a deep devotion to the Lord and loved sharing the gospel with people. And that shaped me really for the rest of my life. That was uh, 12, 11, 12 years ago. And, and th those things that he did are still part of my rhythm today. Like those are still mm -hmm. part of like how I am as a disciple. And so I think the, the college campus is so strategic because this is kind of this last phase of life where mm -hmm. you can mold and shape a person yeah. that will set the trajectory yeah. for the rest of their life. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Because once they leave and they get in careers and they get in families, they get in all those things that things kind of get a little bit more concrete. And yep. this is like this last phase. And I think it's a super strategic phase and one of the shortest ones because they're out from under the networks of parents, of other friends, of other things. And there's more freedom of thought. There's more freedom of what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And so if we can capture them in this moment, like it sets the tone for the rest of their days. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so strategic. Another reason, especially with campuses with residential population is there's a lot of density there. There's yeah. students in yeah. close proximity. You can, yeah. you, you know, you, you can reach them and it affects more people, you know, I, I think in that way. So um, there's, man, moldable, man, you can shape them with the gospel, malleable, you know, and then they're suitable. Like, man, they can, they're, the, the, the world is like a canvas, you know, their next, you know, 60 years of their life are a canvas and, mm -hmm. and we, we can help kind of paint that and shape that Love for that. them yep. with the gospel. So, that's, I think that's, um, that's kind of, I think the strategicness of reaching yeah. college students. Um, and as far as Roundup, Roundup was, you know, birthed, um, man, about almost six years ago, we, um, as I stepped into this role, um, to be collegiate associate with the SBTC, um, we had, you know, a small group of churches, local churches that were doing college ministry. 
And man, we started it with about five, it was like five churches and 25 people in a room to think about what would it look like for us to reach Texas college students with the gospel here in Texas. And what we just started doing from there is building really a network and a family of churches that with the same mission to reach college students with the gospel, yeah. develop them into leaders and send them out as kingdom multipliers. And we've kind of kept that as our core values and what we do. Mm-hmm. And we have seen churches that have really rallied around um, those three, those three things and want to create community out of it. And so mm-hmm. we started that five years ago with about five churches. And I think this last year, and I'm, I'm just speaking from the events, but we mm-hmm. probably had about 60 churches involved Amazing. and, you know, yeah. probably 200, 250 plus people. And, and I think that's going to continue to grow because one thing that I've noticed getting into this is, you know, in Baptist life, uh, traditionally college ministry has always been through campus ministries, which have, have impacted thousands and thousands of students mm-hmm. and really influenced world missions in an incredible way. And I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing more churches that are saying, hey, we support those campus-based ministries, but we also want to have our own ministry in our church as well mm-hmm. to bridge to the campus. And so Roundup has kind of been, uh, I feel like on the on the front end of like helping resource strictly the local church leader um in ministry and so that's kind of been our that's kind of been our niche yeah and i love how it's growing even beyond texas i mean in your vision your networks your relationships people are driving in and flying in from all over so it really is like uh you know i don't say this lightly i I really see it as a movement of god that that he's Mm -hmm. doing on these um these campuses and through you mitch and so that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is it's it's really yeah. exciting to just as NAM and what we're doing to come alongside yeah. you and part, be a strategic partner with you. And so mm-hmm. we just wanted people to know about this Roundup Network mm-hmm. and uh, we're really yeah. excited about partnering together moving forward. So oh, yeah, Thanks, so I appreciate next, that. Yeah, no problem, man. Mm-hmm. The, the, one of the questions, you kind of alluded to this, but what would you say are some key elements that should be a part of every collegiate ministry in your opinion? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, first thing is, um, you know, always, uh, you know, uh, prayer is always the big deal. Like, man, if you're going to start college ministry, it always has to start with a focus on the Lord, not a focus on uh, responsibility, a task yeah. or something. It's communion with the Lord and fellowship with him because so much of like, we can talk tactics, we can talk strategies, we can talk all those things, but man, if the Lord will birth in you, a vision and a conviction, you'll honestly, you'll figure out the rest. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you have a conviction to do something like, you know, I love my wife. I don't need, you know, well, actually she would argue, she probably says I probably need some help, but you know, (laughs) I love her. So I'll do things to show her I love her, you know? And it's like, um, you know, and that's the same way I think when it comes to college ministries, if we start with communion with God, he'll birth the dreams, the convictions, the callings and all those things. Um, to do it. So I think that's number one. And then number two, like, you know, don't be passive in your ministry. Like don't, you know, and I I know for some people in churches, the majority of churches, honestly, where, you know, your college ministry may be a Bible study. It may just be like, Hey, come and, and, and listen to the word. Cause maybe it's a husband and wife team doing it or somebody who's like a lay person doing it. But like, how can you be engaging the students? Like, where can you go be where they are at? You know, I think that one of the things that's missing in so many ministries is just a missionary posture. Like how can I go and be where they are at 
and be the missionary to them and not ask them to become the missionary to me right. and come walk into a foreign environment, walk into a place that uses different language that religious language that I'm not familiar with and uh, be with people that, uh, you know, that act differently than I do. And so I think those are like a few things that like, you know, pray, man, be a missionary and then man, leverage it, to develop leaders in your ministry. Like if you can build a core leadership team that can operate a ministry and run a ministry like mm. of college students and let them have the ministry, like be yeah, student led right. and like leader supported. That's the way to go. Cause like if they own it, they'll do it. Like they'll, they'll go find the people they'll reach. They'll, and, and then you can help. I always say like, I tell leaders like, Hey, just, you're like, let them bowl and you be the bumpers. Like you just make sure they're going down the right lane. <laughs> just yeah. don't let them get in yeah. the gutters and, and let them do that. Um, because I've seen a lot of ministries fail because people will try almost to operate the college ministry like a student ministry where there's yeah. a ton of more oversight and direction. Um, yeah, you do need to give vision. You do need to give some direction, but let them give the keys to them and just kind of put some mm -hmm. parameters on it and let them run it. And I actually think you'll see your ministry, you know, flourish and grow. And you'll reach That's students good. that you can never reach if you do it that way. I love that, Mitch. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pass off that um, leadership to students, you'll cap out what's possible in your, yep. in your collegiate ministry. Because they're looking, they're adults, and they're looking yep. for real opportunities to serve mm -hmm. and, yep. and all that. So zooming out a little bit on big picture of, what are you what are you praying for what's your vision big picture for roundup or even just beyond that um co college ministries and collegiate ministry across the nation yeah yeah man um i read so a couple of years ago I, there was a barna study that talked about the um the state of pastors and it said like i think in the last 20 years the average age of a lead pastor has jumped like 10 years in 94 it was like the average age of a leech pastor was 44 today. It's like 55. And so it was the, the, it was a kind of an alarm for me of saying pastors are getting older and younger generation is not stepping in to fill that gap to become leaders of the church in the future. And that was a big alarm for me. And I thought, how, what is, you know, and I was already in this role, but I thought like, what is the, like, how do we bug that? Like, how do we, how do we change that? And I, again, I just go back to, what we talked about earlier, the college campus, like the college students and where they're at in their stage of life. And I think that's, if we're going to kind of turn the trajectory of some of this, I think that's the best place to start. And, um, you know, and, and, and so what we want to think about is, okay, how do we reach college students um, is, is in, a, in as healthy as possible, but in the fastest way. Mm. And, and I thought, well, you know, and, and, and this was actually what I prayed for when I first got in this position is like, I felt like the Lord told me like, or I, the question I kept asking is what can I do in the next five years that will last the next 50 years? Wow. And the thing that the Lord just kept telling me was focus local church, multiplying local churches, multiplying local churches. Mm -hmm. And so um, what I have really been working on in the last six years is like, who are the churches that are planting um, and are they interested in planting in a college context? And so really identifying who those are. So I've been doing that, but then also trying to identify what are the churches that are actually just reaching college students really well? So we want to mm -hmm. strengthen uh, established churches, but we also want to help plant new churches in college areas because even take a, a school like Texas A&M and college station, like 60, 70,000 students, but there's yep. a ton of great churches there. Mm -hmm. There's no way all those churches are reaching every single one of those right. students. 
So yep. there's more room for more churches that reach a different part of the pie. Now, if we're all going towards the same piece of pie, the same type of people, mm-hmm. that's yep. one thing. But there's plenty of other pie there for for churches to reach. And so um, I just think we need to plant more churches to reach more students. And um, and again, like if we could take if we could plant these churches, and we could cast a vision to say, hey, what we are is we're a multiplying church. We make disciples and we multiply churches and you're doing that with a college student. Well, now what you're doing is you're creating a framework in a college student's brain that says, this is what normal Christianity looks like. That's right. And what you're doing is you're mm-hmm. setting that forever. And so now they think, yeah. Hey, if we're not making disciples and planting churches or, you know, multiplying ourselves, are we even doing this right? And I, mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing to, to do. Um, and so our vision is we'd love to plant. There's 128, colleges and universities in Texas that are four year and two year. And we'd love to get uh, just gospel reaching churches in each of those mm-hmm. on each of those places. And we already have some, and we just need to identify some of the others that, that don't. And so we want to just continue to populate those areas with local churches. And so, um, you know, I, I would love to see us create church planning hubs here in Texas of churches that are doing that. We've already got several with that vision, several that have planted on college campuses. And we just want to see this, um, continue to kind of proliferate and, and, and continue to create multiplying churches who make multiplying disciples. That's awesome, Mitch. Well, Mitch, man, I love you, dude. Uh, man, as a brother in Christ, I, I look at you as like a little brother to me. Um, but man, I'm so proud of you, man, and how the Lord oh, thanks, has raised man. you up, man. You're one of the best of the best in the nation. Um, Paul and I deeply respect mm-hmm. you. We always want to yep. be involved in what you're doing. And mm-hmm. then like, you know, we mentioned before we even jumped in this conversation, uh, Roundup for us at NAM is one of those events we keep on our mm-hmm. calendar because we always want a yeah. presence there. We always mm-hmm. want to support it. We always yeah. want people there and involved. So, man, we're so excited yeah. about what God's doing through you. So, man, yeah. we affirm and celebrate you. And, and we always love to close out our conversations here on the Next Gen on Mission podcast with the same on mission charge that the heart behind yeah. this podcast is that we would help equip the next generation to realize they're the now generation, not the future mm. of the church, mm. but the church right now, that they have a mission now and a calling on their life now. So, Mitch, mm. would you give us one closing thought on that and one practical next step? Oh man. Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, they, they are the, what you do, the, the way that you're making disciples right now of college students, as I said, it's setting the trajectory of the rest of their life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's what you're doing now. What would it look like if this was reproduced? And, you know, just think about this is if how you're making disciples now, how does that affect the church in the next 10, 20, 30 years? Does it look good or not? <laughs> mm-hmm. If it doesn't, yeah. maybe we need to recalibrate what we're doing. Um, which honestly really means that we got to focus on ourselves because I will recreate, I will reproduce who I am. Yeah. And if I'm not doing it, they're not going to do it. And really That's that good. starts with you and me saying, Hey, am I the kind of disciple that Jesus is called to be? And am I reproducing that in the young person? And as you're doing that, as you're reproducing yourself and young people, just know you don't have to be cool. You don't have to be, uh, you know, you, you just got to be authentic, be yourself, share real struggles and then share people, you know, you want to share the gospel you want to share your life and help them do that with other people as well. Um, you know, I think it's pretty, is is kind of simple um, as that. So that, that would That's be scary. my charge. Yeah. And what was the last question you asked? And just say, yeah, one next step, man. Like you say, um, Hey, here's the mindset. Here's one practical next yeah. step. Yeah. You know, I'd say whoever you're hanging with, like, um, you know, whatever that, whoever that college student is, 
just be with them. You know, whether that's saying, Hey, you know, we, our main tool for my family for evangelism discipleship is our kitchen table. Like that's, that's where we invite lost yeah. people to. That's where right. we invite uh, college students to. And there's so much rich things happening around just a mill. Mm-hmm. And so that's our primary tool. That's our evangelism tool. Um, <laughs> you know, I know we, it's hard yeah, to reproduce, you know, in mass, but you know, Hey, just take your <laughs> dining room table, invite people to it. And you'd be surprised when you do that, when you show hospitality, how that opens up doors for conversations uh, to share with lost people or to even, you know, if you're discipling somebody, it just allows them to open up to you and you can really challenge them in, in, in ways they need to, you know, to learn and grow to, to be a disciple and then take them, Great. take them with you. You know, as you're going yep. through our life, mm-hmm. take, just take them with you. That's it's simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, that's, that's so good. Sometimes the most simple things are the most strategic. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, I yeah. think that is so good, Mitch. So Mitch, yeah. we love it. And I think our listeners are going to want to continue to follow you and connect with yeah. you. So what are some ways that they can do that? Yeah. So uh, my personal um, social media is just at Mitch Tidwell um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um yeah, I think that's all. And then uh, you know, our collegiate stuff here at the SBTC, at SBTC Collegiate, that's where we post all of our Roundup stuff. We're on uh, mm-hmm. Facebook, uh, Instagram, and we just kicked off a YouTube channel as well. Nice. So uh, follow us there. We love, we have a Roundup Network Facebook group. Although like, I feel like Facebook's like totally like, I think they're like hiding a lot of the groups are not nearly as successful as they used to be. Oh, yeah, but yeah, we yeah. have a group, <laughs> jump in there. And yeah, we, we put all of our resources there. Or you can follow my stuff. I put it there too. But um, yeah, and then Roundup will be May 11th to 13th. We're going to have that in DFW. That'll be uh, in the spring. And so uh, we're really looking forward to that uh, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and we really want to encourage you, if you're a, a collegiate leader, to be a part of Roundup. Check it out. You will be blessed and encouraged to be there, be a part of it, take your team. Um, it is a great, great event. I've been to multiple of them. Uh, Paul's been involved as well. We highly, highly recommend it. So Mitch, thank you, dear friend, for being on. And friends, thank you so much for listening to another conversation on the Next Gen on Mission podcast. If you have any questions on reaching the next generation, please email us at evangelism at nam.net. We'll try to address those on a future podcast. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast and it's helpful, for you and your journey in following Jesus or your ministry context, please uh, give us a follow if you're on Spotify or if you're on a podcast platform that allows ratings. Uh, like Paul always says, give us five stars, only five <laughs> stars allowed. No, just ratings. Uh, hey, share it with your friends and on your social media. And we deeply appreciate you engaging with us. We want you to have a great rest of your day and tell somebody about Jesus.